Go with me uh, again to uh, John chapter 7. And we've learned that uh, what God is doing in us and through us is not by accident. How many thank God for the new birth? Nicodemus came to Jesus and didn't understand these things as a teacher, as a Pharisee, studied the scriptures really like no one else in his time and didn't understand how this works. So Jesus had to break it down for him. Nicodemus, you must be what? You must be born again. So we understand from John chapter 3 that's the key. And in John chapter 4, Jesus meets up with this woman at the well who's got a sin problem. But how many know where sin doth abound, grace doth abound? Much more. And Jesus isn't interested in condemning her. He's interested in saving her. And she, of course, learns about a, a well that if you drink from that water, you'll never thirst again. What does that mean? Well, you'll never look for something else. You'll have the solution. You'll have the answer. Today, there's a movement called deconstruction going really against our, our young people's minds and telling them all the reasons why Christianity is wrong. And oftentimes, at the spearhead of that thing will be some disgruntled person or offended person who got put out about something, and now they're, they're taking advantage of their platform to try to influence other minds. And they say, well, I just, I just haven't found, I've been a Christian, you know, but I haven't found what I'm looking for. Can I tell you something? If you really got born again, you would have found what you were looking for. And if you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you know you would have found what you were looking for, and you would be interested in drinking from some other well, some toxic well, you know, of, of philosophy or dead man's religion or some other, you know, faith system that all revolves around your efforts and your understanding and putting your intellect above the Word of God. So it's critical, and it's a big deal that you're born again. I think every day you should celebrate the fact that you've had the new birth. Every day you should thank God that you are forgiven, you've been made righteous, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're on your way to heaven, and He's called you. He's called you not just to be that well, but also, you know, to enjoy the contents of that well. So it's not one or the other, it's two sides of the same coin. We're blessed by that living water, and we're also dispensers of that living water. Amen? All of you are like a mobile well. Some of you might relate better to the terminology like a mobile bar. Whatever works for you. Amen. And what are you serving? Living water. Say, that's me. And in John 7, Jesus takes this opportunity to talk about what's going to happen when he departs and ascends. He said in verse 37, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Turn to somebody and tell them, Stay thirsty, my friends. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The implication is if someone's not thirsty, they're not going to drink. And they're not going to receive. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, now that phrase, whoever believes in me, is the qualifier. If you're not born again, you cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecostal Charismatic Word 101. You must be born again. That's where it starts. But that's not where it ends. There's more out there. I mean, there's still more out there. And he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, who those who believed in him were later to receive. So you can see at this point in time there's this punctuation between when they are believing and when it's actually poured out. Because we understand, according to the verse here, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the day that uh, you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit... You received exactly what Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Say, so, I mean, I'm a receiver. And this, this uh, you know, command is further uh, you know, amplified in Acts chapter 1, if you just go over there with me. And he is making this same statement in a little bit more specific way. Of course, they're interested in times and seasons. It seems like people of faith are always interested in what God's going to do, when he's going to do it. How many you know God's going to do what he's going to do when he does it? Yeah. Your job is be faithful, amen, in the interim. And he said to them, uh, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You can put Murray in parentheses right there. Ends of the earth. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. You're right in the will of God. Amen. Well, I feel like I'm at the end of the earth, but then you're in the perfect will of God, praise the Lord, because it fits. I want you to notice here that, again, he's just, uh, you know, recasting what he'd already said, and he's given them a direct command. Now, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that still think this whole Holy Ghost thing is an option, like radio tires or, you know, an MP3 player in your car or whatever. No, it's a command from what? The head of the church. This is the head of the church telling you to wait in Jerusalem until you're being due with power from on high. Now, he, he, he says this. I want you just to, to check this out on verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them his command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Look at it. It's a gift here. It's not something to harm you. Nothing to be afraid of. He talked about this gift. That the Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, when, John 7, for John baptized you with water, but you, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then notice, uh, again, this phraseology, you will receive power. Um, power to what? Live this life? Power to share? Power to understand? Power to have revelation? But we're talking about dunamis power. And write this down if you still don't understand what dunamis is. Dunamis is miracle working power. Amen. So if you break this down, Jesus is giving miracle-working power to whom? To his disciples. Notice, he didn't say those that are super apostles. He said what? Those that believe. Believers get miracle-working power. And remember when we started this journey, I told you about the, the, the paradigm shift that has to be made where you're thinking about that revival and that setting and that historical marker and this personality and this ministry and what they do on the platform. And your focus is, if I could just be here, if I could just go there, if I could just be a part of that ministry, uh, you're doing what you've been trained to do. That's been the training of the, the modern church that's been going on for decades. The paradigm shift is you stopping this idea that I have to go somewhere to either receive or somehow have a touch of God in my life and realize that you exactly, you are the well yourself. That's the first shift. Everybody say that is the shift. Closely behind that paradigm shift is the need for you to stop thinking that this only happens for super apostles or fivefold ministry gifts. That, in fact, is not biblical. This scripture does not say that, that the super apostles or the prophets will have this operate in their life. He says, what? If you what? If you believe. How many believers do we have here today? There should be believers here. So therefore, every believer through the agency of the baptism in the Holy Spirit should be operating in supernatural, dunamis, miracle-working power. But you have to shift We've been training you, and I mean we, capital C, capital E, you know, W-E, we as church leaders for the past hundred years have been training you to look for those with the dunamis, to follow those with the dunamis, to be impressed with those with the dunamis, to appreciate those with the dunamis. We've not been training you to understand God designed that you actually had the dunamis in you. And you know what's really sad? Stand in line five hours for, for brother so-and-so, or for sister so-and-so to lay hands on you, you had the same dunamis in you the whole time. Now, I can't preach that or teach that into you. You've got to get that by revelation. The in you is the same force that Benny Hinn operated in and, and continues to. The same force that Oral Roberts operated in. Same force Catherine Kuhlman operated in. Same force that John G. Lake and his entire team operated in. Same force that the apostles operated in. The same force that Jesus operated in. But we have been trained as a modern church to look for the guy or the gal with the dunamis instead of being the guy or the girl with the dunamis. I'm saying, I'm the, I'm the person with the dunamis, with the dunamis. inside of me. Inside. Is that not sad? Where is it? It's right here. Say, I am the well. And the well contains the dunamis. 
we already talked about this, that the blessing's in there. I wish I could just find the blessing. It's in there. I wish I could find the favor of God. It's in there. Oh, I wish I could just cultivate more of the fruit of the Spirit. In there. I wish I could operate in the gifts of the Spirit. In there. I wish I had dunamis miracle-working power. In there. Not out there. God stopped doing the out there and upon people a long time ago. With a new birth, he moved on the inside of you. And because of the baptism, now we have the sevenfold spirit. Guess where it's at? In there. Where is it at? In there. Look at somebody and say, you're something special. Turn to somebody else and say, you something else. you just something else. You say, intellectually, Pastor, I, I get that. I hear what you're saying. I, I need you to move beyond intellectually receiving something. I need this to explode on the inside of you. So that when something comes up, you know, around you or in your family or while you're working or going about your business or just on vacation, the Spirit of God just prompts you. Something comes up. You know that I don't have to get, you know, sister super apostle or, you know, brother so-and-so prophet to get this thing to work or call upon somebody because what? It's where? The early church got this. There were a lot of things lost through the dark ages, things like the new birth, for example. Definitely the things of the spirit lost due to no practice and no teaching. How I many? All you have to do as the capital C church to lose something is for teachers to stop teaching it, stop practicing it. Uh, you know, spirit-filled movements all over the country are in danger of losing themselves right now, messing around with their doctrine, messing around with the wokeism. One of our major leaders the other day, one of our major universities decided he thought it would be great to tell everybody how to be a woke church. You don't need to be a woke church. You need to be alive to Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we are having trouble right now in Afghanistan is because our major military brass have been trying to do social engineering and forcing critical race theory down the throats of our military instead of being ready for mission. And I just gave it to you as straight as it is, and that's the truth. They have one job, and that is to be mission-ready at all time. Not have their brains twisted and racism sewn into their lives and their focus taken off the task in the middle of a war. I want them all gone. I want them all fired. Joint chiefs, Pentagon, Secretary of State, I want them all gone. They're all complicit to this nonsense. But hey... We lost a nation after 20 years of battle and lost lives and people's legs blown off and families forever destroyed. But, but at least the president doesn't issue mean tweets. That's what's important. <laughs> Moving right along, Pastor. Just move right along. Where was I? I'm the well. Hallelujah. <laughs> Say, I am the well. I don't know about y'all, but I, I wouldn't mind a few mean tweets and gas prices being back down. I wouldn't mind a few mean tweets and the inflation going away. I wouldn't mind a little mean tweets with some competence moving right along. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just don't like that kind of talk in church. Can I tell you something? It's, it's high time the body of Christ got out of the shallows and back into the deep end where they belong. I don't know about that new birth stuff and all that spear-filled stuff and all that miracle stuff and taking a stand and raising your voice against policies and procedures and things that are not biblical. I don't know about all that you know, stuff like speaking out against Herod. This is nothing new. Jeremiah got in their face. Isaiah got in their face. Moses got in their face. Paul got in their face. Jesus got in their face. And the modern church ought to get in their face and tell them this is not right. I just don't think politics has a place in the church. You're missing the point. We're the ones with the authority. And give you an example of this. All, all the devil's been trying to do in the season of COVID is divide, 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 divide. And we've even been sucked into this, forgetting who's behind this, the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to unite to destroy the works of the devil. Instead of, you know, nipping at each other, thinking that these are the issues. Those aren't the issues. The issue is there's a devil, and he's real, and he's more active right now than he ever has been before. There's never been a season where we need you to be the well like right now. And I mean, whatever's in there is going to come out. 
The truth is in there. And it's going to what? It's going to come out without any filter. The only buffer, of course, is to do so in love. To really care about people enough to speak the truth in love. But I can tell you this. When that is done from us, through us, or we're on the receiving end of some, some tough love, spoken in love, some truth in love, the, the chain or the leash on not responding is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then that word spoken to you in love that's not responded to, that thing becomes the judge. Not the communicator, not the messenger. It becomes a marker against you. So make sure then this day that uh, you lay hold of this with all your heart. I mean, you just jump into this and say, you know what? I am not going to splash around in the kiddie pool anymore. I don't care what people think. I'm going to be what God's called me to be. Born again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, amen, word-confessing, devil-casting, outer, amen, dead-raising, crazy child of God. You know what's sad? This community already thinks you're nuts. They think you already believe all these things, and you're nuts. We might as well go ahead and prove it. We might as well give them something to wag their tongues about. And instead of just thinking we are, let's show them we are. We're just as crazy as you think we are. Amen. Do you believe those people actually think that God wants to use them like he used Jesus? Duh. He does. Why? Because there's not another Holy Spirit. There's not a Holy Spirit for Jesus and a Holy Spirit for you. A Holy Spirit for Paul and a different Holy Spirit for you. Same Spirit. And it's all in there. If you're born again and you've received the baptism, it is there and it is without measure the dunamis power of God. And so the shift has to be made from going to, instead of realizing it's right here, and realizing that the qualifier for this is not you being an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, but being what? A believer. A believer. Amen. Glory to God. And understanding that uh, you are way past the days of, of thinking of this nation as a Christian nation. This town, our neighborhoods right now need, are in just as need of missionaries as anywhere else in the world right now. Amen. And if you, if you go with that mindset, you're entitled to tap any resource that God has available in his word to do the things you're called to do. Amen. Everybody say, thank God. I'm saved. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. You know, there are going to be times you don't know how to pray. Thank God. Amen. Say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the things of the Spirit. Glory to God. I want you to uh, go back to Galatians 3. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to remind you the sevenfold Spirit is in you. The gifts are in you, the fruit in you, the blessings in you, the favors in you. Glory to God. When we talk about this in, in general terms, we're talking about a God inside consciousness. The real deal. It's, it's miraculous when you think about it. He doesn't live in buildings and temples made with hands. Isn't that funny? God made us to be the temple. Amen. We, we've been depositories for the glory from the very beginning. We're just on our way back. Amen. Glory to God. The glory is rising in you. You're being glorified. What does that mean? Lifted up in praise? No, you're missing the point and the biblical application. Glorification is the progressive restoration of the glory of God that was lost because of the fall. It means the restoration of God's power, presence, and goodness in your life and through your life. But don't think the glory is just for you alone. The last thing that's going to be glorified, we understand, is going to be our glorified body. What a day that will be. 
But do you know that right now your spirit man is as glorified as it's ever going to be? Yes. It was not only born again. It was. It, you understand this concept? It's it's instantly everything it's supposed to be. And our minds, our will, our emotion, our bodies are still in that process. Now, the good news for you and for me is even though we're going to have to wait on the body, God, through his power, he's able to sustain your body and the bodies of others to accomplish what God has called them to do on this planet. That's why it's so important you understand the dimensions of the glory of God, how the anointing of God works. But guess what? That glorification right now is touching your mind and your will and your emotions. I'm telling you right now, you're going to think at a higher level than ever before. You're going to understand and submit to the will of God like you never had before in Jesus' name. You are not going to live an emotion-ruled life. You're going to live, you're going to live a spirit-led and directed life. All of these things are functions of glorification. And guess where it's at? Watch how this has worked through the years. I love those old songs. Oh, the glory. Praise the Lord. And we, we would sing, we would, we'd think about this stuff as we gather, and then something's going to come down on us. The paradigm shift, and the truth is, guess what? It's already there. When you walked in tonight, you brought that sevenfold spirit with you. You brought that glorifying agent with you. It's, it's there. But something happens when we focus and we praise and we worship God. It begins to manifest. Not from there to here but from here out. Now you understand that uh, you and I have everything to say about the quality, the content, and the flow of a church service. God wants to move, he'll move. We'll just pray and ask him, and if he finally decides to do it, he'll do it. No, you and I decide whether he's going to move or not. By cooperating with him, praise and worship and prayer, these are all agencies that put us under the means of grace, and these are the things that facilitate manifestation. But our paradigm is it's up there, and we just got to somehow get God to bring it down here. He already brought something down here. His son, first of all. And then when his son went back up to the right hand of the Father, he sent down the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're praying, oh God, show up. Show us your glory. Manifest in the house as if we were, you know, sitting in Solomon's temple or something. I think Solomon would have been stunned to find out what you and I have. He did his best. I understand, you know, tens of thousands of animal sacrifices. And he literally prayed the glory down. Watch this. That's why you and I have a very dated mentality of what it means for the glory to come down. In Solomon's day, yes, he literally filled the temple. And they couldn't even perform their duty. Oh, I, I would love it if we couldn't perform the duty. Some of y'all used to say, oh, I wish the glory would come down and make the pastor dance. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the glory of God just manifested and the pastor would just dance? Wow. I need to move you up about 4,000 years to post-Calvary, post-baptism to realize one thing. Every day you get up, you've been walking around with it. You take it with you everywhere you go. When you come here like precious faith, it's not a manifestation of something there coming down. It's a manifestation of what's in all of us coming up and out. The living water is already there. Can you see this? This is not only going to help you personally day by day, but it's going to help you understand what he's getting ready to do. Listen, no devil or no demon or no disease stands a chance if you can get a few hundred people starting to understand that when they walked in that door, the well showed up with them. And here you are praising and worshiping God, and you're just pouring out the speech and the blessing of God, and that river is flowing out of every single heart and life. That devil doesn't stand a chance. Not in your family, not in your church, not in your small group. Not a chance. He's up to something. Do you know, I, I think back on the, on the series and the things that he's led us down the path to do. I, it's all kind of just converging. Yeah. Said, I'm the well. No God's in the power just now. Well, excuse me, I did already. What am I saying? This requires an awakening 
a revelation. Nobody can teach you this intellectually. You've got to understand that you and I haven't had a clue, nor have we appreciated what's on the inside of us. Can I tell you something I know, though, about this church and the way he's configured it and the crazy cities put here? You're that crowd. You're that crowd. It's just like in the days of the early church, the most, you know, people that the Pharisees would never pick. And what? People who will receive and walk in that revelation. Hallelujah. We're just going to keep on watching the Spirit of God drill this down and drill this down and drill this down. But it's all right there. And Paul said it this way in Galatians 3. One of the things he was disappointed in Galatians about is their return to Judaism back to bondage. I mean, no, God doesn't want you to go back to bondage. Go back to the shallows because people will like me more if I'm not a fanatic. Go back to a carnal lifestyle, get born again, eat chicken dinners, and die one day and go to heaven. Praise the Lord, glory to God. Be a little good little church member, good little trooper, good little soldier. Don't offend anybody, don't upset anybody. Well, look, if you're not upset at somebody, you're not doing your job. <laughs> Amen. Um, I can tell by that statement, some of you are working overtime. Hallelujah. <laughs> but uh, Galatians 3. Verse 3, are you so foolish after a beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it was really for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? There's a push for people to embrace and accept and enjoy the shallows. But there's a whole other crowd out there in the body of Christ who's not satisfied with that. I'm not going back to religion. I'm not going to mediocrity. I'm not going back to just being religious and attending services and, and being external and thinking that it's out there somewhere. I'm going to grow up in Christ. Amen. Satan, I'm going to grow up in Christ. I'm going to be that well. That's the decision. First, it comes by revelation that you are. And just take some time this week and just meditate on the things that I told you Sunday and tonight are actually inside of you. Just think about that for a moment. Huh? Think about that. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is on you. It is, it is in full measure. Just, just meditate on that. And it's permanent. Throughout all the eternity, you will never be without the presence of God. No matter what you're dealing with. That didn't happen to Moses. That didn't happen to Elijah or Elisha. That didn't happen to David or to Solomon. They got it partially, and they got it temporarily. Because of what Jesus did and because of what he said, I know it may have been um, you know, not so dramatic for you. It doesn't make any difference. You didn't have to have bells and whistles and see things and have all kinds of experiences. You got saved, got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Guess what? You got the Spirit of the Lord in its fullness and permanently. Just, just meditate. See what I'm saying to you? I can't, you can't get this through intellectualism. You can't get this through teaching. You've got to get this by revelation. And that's just one dimension of the sevenfold spirit. That's what he means by the spirit of the Lord. It means the fullness and the permanent spirit of the Lord. Almighty God, Yahweh, Jehovah, amen, our heavenly father, the fullness of his presence is on you right now. I don't feel him. Well, maybe you just need to reconnect with the reality and to do the things that will cause that thing to manifest in your life. But I'm telling you, it's already there. I don't see it. You don't see your stomach either, but how do you know it's there? I just wish I could see my liver and I'd feel better. Really? 
I just was like, could see my kidneys. Don't you know they're there? They tell you're there. Amen. And then they remind your bladder they're there. Amen. Glory to God. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, you are the apex of God's creative ability. You're it. There is no higher being that has been or ever will be created. You were made in the image of God. God does not have a plan to outdo himself. He already did that. He made you in his image. You are the vessel for the fullness of the spirit of God, the fullness and the permanence of that spirit. It's in there right now. When I meditate on this, what stuns me is to think about what these dudes did with a partial Holy Spirit and a temporary Holy Spirit. Catch this. Moses parted the Red Sea with partial and temporary. Elijah took on the prophets of Baal, built the altar, cut the wood, filled it up the trench with water, called down the fire of God, ran like the wind to avoid his, his persecutor with a partial Holy Spirit and a temporary spirit. And here we sit tonight, kumbaya. Where's God? Why doesn't he move? <laughs> we- to call us a sleeping giant in the charismatic Pentecostal church in America doesn't even begin to describe what we are. Amen. Glory to God. Say, I mean, I have it in its fullness and it's permanent. Oh, it's so impressive, you know, what they got, those guys did. It was temporary, and it was partial. When you move into the New Testament period, it is what? Permanent. Amen. And in its fullness, glory to God. Just, just meditate on that. And we're not going to go anywhere that we began the spirit and where we finish it in the flesh. It's not going to happen. But Americans don't like this stuff. Americans are too sophisticated for this stuff. They just want you to have a nice little contemporary worship service, a nice little, you know, three-point sermon to do, and you keep it about 45 minutes to an hour at the most, and then we can all just gather, and then we'll see you again in a week or two or three, you know, when we realize we want to come back again. Um, now, there's a crowd that's not content in the shallows. Amen? More adventure out there in the deep end. Turn to somebody and say, you're coming out of the shallows in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Acts 1, the command of Jesus. Wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power, dynamite, dunamis, explosive power, miracle-working power. Write this down, displacement power. Most people think that it's the, um, you know, it's the combustion of the elements, whether it was you know, a certain, uh, you know, mixture of powder or whatever it is or something like fertilizer and some kind of detonation system or plastic C4, whatever the case may be. But here's what happens when an explosive goes off. It displaces the air in unbelievable force and speed. And guess what actually does all the damage? It's the displacement of that air that blows that building down that destroys the human body. Yes, there'll be some shrapnel in the close proximity, but, you know, tonight, if a, if a nuclear blast were to hit a major city around the world, there would be deaths from the epicenter from that, and long-term from radiation, but a lot of the people would be killed simply by the blast radius itself, destroying everything in its path, knocking down houses and buildings and cars. You get the picture. That's the kind of force that we have, but not for destruction. That's not our call. That's not our anointing. It's to displace the garbage of the devil. To displace the works of the enemy. The addiction and the sickness and the disease and the poverty and the depression and the despair. That shock wave that destroys in the natural, in this case, is destroying the works of the devil and dispenses the life of God everywhere it goes. 
Amen. In Acts chapter 2, they obeyed the Lord, but not all of them. I find this just incredibly difficult to swallow, but no matter how much I have looked at this and studied this out, there's just no other conclusion that about 500 people were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Say it with me, 500. 120 actually showed up, which means that the majority, 380, decided to stay in the shallows even after they not only heard his teaching and saw his ministry, saw him crucified and buried, and saw him resurrected, that was not enough to move them out of the shallows. Revelation would move you out. And on that day, the Spirit of God came. We know the Spirit of God moved and settled down each one of them, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We understand they receive that miracle-working power. In uh, Acts chapter 8, we see the Samaritans receive the Spirit of God, and there was a man there who wanted to buy that power. That whoever he laid hands on, they would receive this. And he, of course, was thinking about the, you know, the natural part of that, and he was rebuked severely, and he repented pretty quickly. I don't want this to happen to me, these things that you have professed over me. But why would he want to spend money on something that was not really tangible? It's the one place in the Bible where we don't see it emphatically state, besides Acts chapter 9, that when they receive the baptism, of course, they receive with this corresponding vocal gift called tongues. But we know something happened. If you laid hands on somebody, you're this man watching this, and they just get a nice glow on their face, or there's a smile, you're not going to pay money for that ability to make somebody smile. He was moved by the manifestation of that experience to the point of wanting to invest money and pay for that. Well, you can't pay for something that's free. It's a gift of God. We see in Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul receives. Uh, God gets a hold of Ananias and says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go minister to Saul. And he's like, wait a minute, can I have a second opinion about this? Because this is the guy rounding everybody up. He's like the original Taliban. He's rounding people up and murdering, killing them and arresting them, going from city to city with full authority from his leaders to do so. This guy, yes, I got a plan for his life. He ministers to him. He's baptized in the Holy Ghost. He's healed physically and restored. The Lord himself, of course, had called and confronted him and then he sends his, his, his servant Ananias to go. What an amazing thing to hear God and obey like that. You know what, there's, 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 there are Saul's and Paul's for you and me, for me to reach as well. We have some of the same excuses. They'll never listen to us. They'll be mad. They'll be offended, blah, blah, blah. They'll turn on us, whatever. He ministers to him. And we don't know all the manifestations, but we knew, do know according to 1 Corinthians 14, 18, that Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So we do know where he got it from. And we do know he is proficient in the practice of this. Remember I said all these things are in you? Here's a little tidbit for you to chew on. Tongues is one of the things that causes that water to flow up out of you. Don't ever neglect your prayer language. If you want the well for you and for others, I don't care what religion says. Don't let their scorn push you back in the shallows where you can form to what religiosity tells you you should be as a little Christian in America. Too many people have done that. Too many leaders have done that duct tape the Holy Ghost and throw them in the back room and then expect people's lives to be transformed, that's not going to happen. He won't do what he's not permitted to do. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, you know, a Gentile family in his entire household, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell and they began to speak in other tongues. Why is this so important? Because it shows you that uh, this is how people became wells in the early church. This is how. His entire household. What a great day to be Cornelius' household. Amen. While they were, while he was preaching. Does it happen that way? Yeah. It'll happen if we just declared over somebody's life, we lay hands on them. Even during the preaching of the word of God, people get filled with the Holy Ghost and with the power. I wanted you to see this last one as we kind of just uh, prepare to transition tonight. But Acts chapter 19. Kind of like uh, 
my story, if you were raised in a denominational setting and you never heard much about the things of the Spirit, I read this for the first time as a baby Christian. I said, they're writing about me right there. In verse 1 of chapter 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples and asked them. Now, disciples means what? Believers that are already self-disciplined learners of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a traditional evangelical doctrine says that these people weren't really saved yet, and when they received the Spirit, that's when they were saved. That's completely contradictory to the Word of God. And that's nothing more than trying to use your doctrine to bypass the plain teachings of Scripture. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The answer, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked him, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. That's the baptism for repentance. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming uh, after him. That is, in Jesus, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, watch this, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they did what? They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Now, the one manifestation through all the narratives, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10 and 19, and the proof of Paul's manifestation Acts chapter 9 and 1 Corinthians 14, they all talk about tongues, and sometimes you'll see prophecy is thrown in there as well. But the one standard, common, consistent manifestation is tongues. And I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing more opposed by the devil himself than tongues. Nothing. The devil will lie to you. He'll marginalize you. He'll get people to make fun of you. That started in Acts chapter 2. These people are drunk. Well, today, these people are crazy or they're insane. These things have passed away or they're speaking in tongues by the devil. I've always been really intrigued by that stupid statement because I spent 17 years serving the devil never spoke in tongues one time. Right. Not once. All of a sudden, I get born again, spirit-filled, and I'm proficient in tongues. Ah, Shazam, there's a miracle. It's just, it's just man's fear and doctrine getting in the way of the truth. And it's so powerful that the devil is terrified of the tongue-talking Christian. But he's not terrified of the tongue-talking Christian who won't speak in tongues. Because your well is being kept. Raise your hand if you'd love to turn up persecution in your life. Let me see your hand. Go ahead, raise it up high. No? No? Nobody? Let me try this another way. How many of you know you need to speak in tongues more and let the river flow? Raise your hand. You just need to use it more. That's all you need to do to increase the persecution in your life as well. They go hand in hand. But it's adventurous. Amen. Um, yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, somebody's mad at you for no reason or offended at you or put out for no reason. It all makes no sense at all. Why all of a sudden somebody's acting goofy towards you? And you say, Pastor, you mean to tell me because I'm going to make the commitment to pray in the Spirit more than I ever have in my entire life, that stuff would break out against me? Yeah, it's designed to shut you up. He can't understand what you're saying. Look at this from his perspective. He cannot break that code. He's been trying. And to give him a little bit of credit here, I mean, we all speak a diverse language. So bless his heart. And just when he thinks he has it figured out, the Holy Ghost can change it up, add syllables to it. He can't break it. He has no idea what you're praying. And you say, well, that makes two of us. Well, the other thing is, though, you have this knowledge that everything you're praying lines up with the Word of God. Everything. So he doesn't know what it is, and you're praying without doubt, fear, and unbelief. When you're praying in the Spirit, there's none of that because you don't have any, any the mind is not interfering with your faith. You're praying the Holy Ghost. So everything you pray lines up with the Word of God, and everything you pray, what, comes to pass. If you're the devil, you don't want that person praying in accordance with the will of God and everything they're praying. In other words, that person speaking in tongues is an agent for the manifestation of the will of God in the earth. If you're the devil, you don't want that. But he doesn't come at you like that. If, I mean, if you woke up tomorrow morning praying in tongues to your blue in the face, the devil's not going to show up and tell you, I don't like that. Please don't do that. 
I don't understand what you're saying. You're getting great results because everything you're praying comes to pass and lines up with the word of God. That's not how this works. They come against your mind, against your emotions, against your body, against your finances, against your family, against your relationships. Weird things start popping up. But at that moment, you need to know, you know what, I'm going to be like Bartimaeus. I'm going to speak in tongues all the more. You know what, devil, do this again, and I'll dedicate two hours tomorrow in your honor just praying in the Holy Ghost. That's the mentality you've got to have. Mess with me again, and I'll take it up another level. It'll get to the point where you're too expensive to mess with. But I'm just throwing this out there. It'll be a whole teaching on this, but you want it to flow? Don't wait for Pastor Art to teach on this to start using the gift that's on the inside of you. Be a fanatic, but don't expect the devil and his ilk and those that serve him and the religious that are influenced by him to like it. Hallelujah. I thank God for the Holy Ghost. I thank God that we get to be word people and people of the Spirit. The most powerful thing I ever heard, you know, along this lifestyle of being a boring and spiritual person is the teaching that you know I need to be word people and people of the Spirit. Glory to God. Look at somebody say, there's something inside of you. Powerful. Come on, say it. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Say it. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. When I was in school around... 99, 2000, 2001, um, my research project was what uh, part of our constituency within the Assemblies of God were receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In other words, of those that were being saved, what percentage? Now, is there anything about uh, our heritage, our history, um, leave of the new birth, baptism in the Holy Spirit, healing, and the second coming of Christ. These are what we call cardinal doctrines. Somebody say cardinal doctrines. And just because something's a doctrine doesn't mean it's being lived out. Does that make sense? So you can say something, you can publish something, you can preach something. And oftentimes at our general council meetings every two years, you'll actually have a speaker, especially 20, 30 years ago, and one would speak on the new birth, and one would speak on the baptism, and one would speak on healing, and one would speak on the second coming. And I appreciate that because they're emphasizing things that are very, very important. But as I began to study out, and I didn't get my stats, I got them directly from our statistician in Springfield, Missouri, based on all the data coming in over a period of about 10 years. And in that 10-year period, from about 1985 to 1995, which was the latest full data available, only 14% of those that got saved in our churches were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, can I tell you something? It's not getting better. And part of it is it's not being preached, not being taught, not being expected, and room not being made. Now, I don't care what you say your doctrine is on paper. If it's not being practiced, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Amen. We ought to be committed to certain things. Amen. Say it with me. I believe in the new birth. Said I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Said I believe in healing. I believe in His coming. Amen. Watch this. You mess with any one of those things, and it's going to completely undermine what God has set us up to be. And unfortunately, it's already happening. Already a move away from divine healing. Already a move away from these things. And you know what we're committed to being? We're going to stick to what the Word of God says. Amen. Say, I'm going to stick to what the Word of God says. Uh, we're not going to be woke. We're going to be alive. How many of y'all know that, that Harvard was set up as a school to train ministers? Huh? You believe that? Yeah. One of their genius professors the other day said that, uh, you know, if you're a faith-loving group like this, you're actually just like the Taliban. These are the people who are paid a lot of money at the highest levels of education to say stupid stuff like that. Really, do, do we behead people of 
you know, different faith or religion. Uh, is that what we do? I didn't, I didn't know we did that. Do we make the women wear burqas and kill people involved in sexual sin and throw homosexuals off of the roofs of buildings and hang them? Is it really? Are you really? And they get away with this stuff and nobody calls them on this. And we're not talking about some crackpot in some little school somewhere. We're talking about a school that was set up to train ministers of the gospel. That thing can happen to any school who will not stick to the word of God. Gradual erosion of what they believe until it's no longer what it used to be. Amen. Say it with me. I'm the well. I'm going to be the well. Come on, say it. Everything on the inside of me, hallelujah, produces according to the word of God, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the blessing, the favor of God, the sevenfold spirit, the, the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. It's all in here. Amen. Say it with me. I confess. Revelation in my life in this area. Acts chapter 19, they received the Holy Ghost. Now, just to kind of wrap this up for you. What does Peter and Paul and Philip all have in common? Peter denied the Lord with cussing. Next thing you know, he's preaching 3,000 people getting saved. Beggar of the temple, Kate Beautiful, getting healed. Philip, in the upper room, comes out as a deacon serving tables. Next thing you know, we see him in Samaria, and a massive revival breaks out. What does he have in common? What does Paul have in common with Philip and Peter, from a persecutor of the church to a champion of the church? the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They were mobile wells. They were transformed, and then he went out and transferred. Come on, say it with me. I'm a transform, and then I'm transferring what's in me. Say it, I'm the well. Come on, say it like you mean. I am the well of living water. The Spirit lives in me. Glory to God. Amen. It's going to be fun just watching what God does in you and through you. I'm glad you're out of the shallows. Put away your little floaties, little rubber duckies, and out there where you mean business, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap and thank him today. <laughs>